but we've been in the season called seven, or the series called Seven, and I don't know if you feel like this has been a little bit of a painful series, but it's also been a necessary series, right? And I have been working through this message this week, just being wrecked every time I read it, because I'm like, oh, I literally am just up here talking, but I'm with you. I'm sitting with you in this, okay? And what we're going to talk about, we're all in this together, okay? And so today, um, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about the seven deadly sins, which, um, to give a little bit of background, if you haven't been here, um, has been a great series on pride, envy, greed. We've been talking about um, the monastic monks who went out to the desert and have essentially went out to escape all attempt, all attempt, all, all temptation towards sin, and found that they couldn't actually run from it. It didn't matter how far they went or where they hid. Sin was still a temptation in the humanity of them. And so they kind of came up with this list of seven deadly vices or sins. And so that's what we've kind of been going through. And we see so much biblical precedent for these sins that we felt like they're so important to just dig into. So today. I get to sit and talk to you about the deadly sin of sloth. And some of you are like, oh, phew, something I never deal with. Just wait. We are just starting. Okay, and, and as uh, for those of you who maybe today I might offend you a little bit, just know that there is, first of all, this all comes out of the Bible. And second of all, I um, actually preached a message back in like last August called Unoffendable. It's episode 96 on iTunes. So after this message, you can go listen to that if you're struggling. Okay. But moving on, most of us, like I said, we're currently sitting here thinking, okay, sloth, this is one I might be able to take a deep breath. I haven't really struggled with that. I, I'm a pretty busy person. How many of you would say you're busy people? Well, just get ready because... Busy is just as much a part of sloth as laziness is a part of sloth. So as we dig into this, we're going to find that there's so much depth to this idea of sloth. And even in the non-religious world, you would see this be a capital sin, where people will look at people in the laziness and say, and, and John Piper would say, an, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. So we see that if the world can recognize this as a capital vice or sin, and the spiritual is recognizing this, there's something to pay attention to here. So, you know, while we hear this word sloth, we think immediately laziness, but we'll be surprised to hear that it's not really just about that. It's actually about avoidance. And you can be a busy person, right, and be in the midst of avoidance. You can be a busy person and be in sloth. So what are we avoiding exactly in this idea of sloth? What is it that we're running from? The deadly sin of sloth is more about, being, more about being lazy about love than about being lazy about our work. Yes, you see slothfulness in our work, right? We all could see that. But it plays a part of how we love others, God, and ourselves. See, sloth opposes this Christian virtue of diligence. In Latin, we see the word diligence means to love. So when we're diligent about something, we love something. When we're diligent about the care of our relationships, we are showing love. So when we look at sloth, we see Rebecca says this um, day young. We've been reading a lot out of this book called Glittering Vices. I would encourage you if you want to dig deeper into any of these things, you can go read that book. It's, but be prepared. It's thick. And it's intense. 
But sloth, she says, becomes a sin not merely because it makes us lazy, but because of the lack of love that lies behind that laziness. The desert fathers meant by this word sloth, which is Acadia, that it implies a failure of effort, a failure of effort, a failure linked to a lack of love. The Greek word they use, Acadia, literally means lack of care. So in this lack of care, like I said, it affects everything, right? It affects our person, ourselves, how we care for ourselves. It affects those who are surrounded by us. It affects our work. And ultimately, and most importantly, and what we're going to focus on today is how it affects our relationship with God. One commentary put it this way, that sloth is the official mascot of spiritual lethargy. So we find ourselves avoiding love and loving people, and ultimately we find ourselves avoiding change when we're in the midst of sloth. A few weeks ago, I, was, uh, I ran across this quote, and this was before I was really studying for this message, and I just felt like it really applied today. But it says, it was, Anne Lamott says this, the secret is that God loves us exactly the way we are. We all love that part, right? We can come to the Father. We can come to the cross exactly who we are, as we are, with what we are, with our past and our failures. We can come before him. And that he loves us too much, though, to let us stay like that. So that's what Anne Lamont says. And I thought, this is exactly the idea of sloth. Because the weighty reality of our sin focus today is that we're not meant to stay where we're found. But sloth, the slothful person, doesn't like the last part of that equation. They don't like the idea of, of changing, of working towards something, of working on something. They find themselves stuck in staying the same. So my message today, the title of my message, for those of you taking notes, is Lazy in Love. Yes, let's pray. <laughs> and I just say, it's really hard getting up here after worship. I'm like breathless right now. I'm like, <sighs> so I'm sorry if I feel a little... Up and down. I literally feel that way right now. <laughs> but anyway, let's go ahead and pray. God, we worship you. Lord, we set this moment before you. Lord, we honor you and thank you for what you're doing and what you're about to do, God. And I just pray for each of us that are in this room right now, God, that walls will be torn down. Lord, that you'd speak truth to our hearts, God, that we could come into reconciliation with you in those places and spaces, Lord, that maybe we've been slothful, God. And I just pray that you would just impact our hearts today and our minds as we press into what your word says today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you follow me on Instagram, about a month ago, I was sitting on a Saturday feeling extremely restless. I was trying to be, like, diligent, as, it rec you know, as recommended, and <laughs> I was trying to be diligent and read some books and just dig in, have a little, like, time with God and my family and all the things. Well, I could not sit still. I would sit, and you, you ever read a book and you read the same page like 10 times because you didn't read it? You were just thinking or doing whatever. Well, so I'm sitting there trying to read through some books and stuff, and, and I do actually read through like five books at one time, so literally I mean books. Um, <laughs> and I was not getting anywhere. I was, re I was just restless. I was anxious. I was struggling with some personal and emotional um, issues going on around us, and I just was frustrated. And so that day, I thought, you know what? I am so sick of those cabinets on our walls. I'm going to take them down. We have this kitchen where you walk in, and there's lots of cupboards on the bottom, and there's lots of cupboards on the top, and it's a color I do not like at all. And I'm like, they're going to go away eventually, so today's the day. Now, I don't have a plan past this moment. I just know that I need to do something. 
So I go and I literally take down all the cabinets and I posted about it and, you know, just shared like, hey, here's what I did today. Look at, doesn't this look great? It looks terrible still. Um, and I said, update to come in September of 2020 because it's literally going to probably take me that long to actually remedy the issues that I created on our wall. Um, but as I'm going through this message, I literally thought to myself that day I was struggling with sloth. I made myself busy to avoid the things going on internally inside of me. And in that busyness, I sure brought out some frustration and I hacked at some cupboards and that was peaceful and that was helpful. It really helped to tear some things down. And, but I was avoiding the truth of what I really needed to see in that moment. Where I really needed to be that day and in that moment was at the feet of Jesus. Where I needed to be that day was with my family, loving them. And it wasn't that they weren't around, and I don't think you have to sit with your family all the time. I'm not saying that. That's not laziness if you don't. But in that moment, what I reconciled, when I look back at that moment, I realized that I was in the midst of sloth. I was in the midst of avoidance. I was avoiding my feelings and my frustrations and ultimately the fact that I couldn't be rest, that I was restless. I was avoiding trying to become restful. And see, the problem with, with sloth is that this sin bears an inter, internal turmoil and lack of connection to change moving forward and extending love. In that moment, I was having an issue with connecting to what needed to change inside of me. So when we go back to what Anne Lamont says, we see that the sloth objects to the not being able to stay this way reality of our day-to-day -day walk with God, themselves, and others. In Glittering Vices, it says this, in a sense, then, it's true that slothful people want the easy life. I mean, why wouldn't you? They find detachment from the old selfish nature too difficult, painful, and burdensome. So they neglect to perform the actions that would maintain and deepen relationships of love. They harden their hearts toward any change that requires sacrifice or surrender on their part. Likewise, sloth is the vice of those who want the security of having God's love without the real sacrifice and ongoing struggle to be made anew. While sloth affects several areas of our life, we're going to focus, as I said today, on our relationship with Jesus and how it affects that relationship. Going back to that quote that I just read, we see this, this love idea, the loving Jesus part and his saving grace. That's where we like, but we stop there often. That's where sloth starts to come in because Jesus ultimately doesn't want us to, to just believe in him. He wants us to follow him. And in following him, that takes action. It's actionable steps towards change. It's actionable steps. And I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit here. The deep-seated issue with sloth is the new identity required to embrace the acceptance of Jesus. The slothful like Jesus but kick against the change required in Jesus. Some of you are thinking, are we going down a legalistic path right now? No. But that's the problem, church, is that we've really tried to, as soon as we say we're wrong in something, as soon as the church starts saying, hey, that's not, that's not God's best for you, we're suddenly verging on this idea of legalism. And that's not reality. And I cannot stand up here and not give you full truth, the full gospel. The problem is we want to just take part of the gospel. That's the issue with sloth. The issue with sloth is we're okay with the part of the gospel where we get to say yes to Jesus and have eternity forever. 
But that is not his best for us in the long run. That is not his best for us now. Yes, eternity is secure, but today is where we can have the most impact through change by following Jesus. So when we start going there in our mind, we got to realize that Jesus does call us to actually follow him. And following requires movement. It requires change. It requires transformation. Okay, now maybe you're still sitting here and wondering if this sin applies to you, if that, this has not been enough of a brush over. So I'm going to give you a few things that will help you identify if you struggle with sloth. Are you ready? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, though I will probably admit to some. The first is this. Your desktop is a mess. You know, your computer desktop or your desktop. I'm terrible about that. Your desktop is a mess. You run late. You stop doing what others appreciate. You have a ton of texts you haven't responded to since Thanksgiving in 2002. You're always in a hurry, but always make time to do the unnecessary. Instagram. You have a sense of disease at the end of the day instead of looking at it like God did. Remember, God in, God in Genesis, he would look at what he would do in a day, and he says, it is good. That was good stuff today. You have this sense of disease that you can't speak over your day. That was good. It is good. You feel more connected to characters in a TV show than those that lay in the bed right next to you. You pursue and only commit to what you find fun. You stay busy to avoid thinking about your life. Cupboards. <laughs> it's the reality. You can't stay and remain interested in any one thing. The list can go on. We could list it for days, several things that, that show you and point you to the idea that you may be struggling with this sin of sloth. And you notice that not all of those things are about laziness, right? So in some capacity, in some way, we all find ourselves in the continuous struggle of sloth, and that's the reality. Sloth is a daily attraction. It's a daily struggle. It's a daily sin cycle. We have to literally choose daily to not enter into the sin of sloth. While sloth, it is take, it, while sloth takes daily work to stay, avoiding avoidance, <laughs> there is great benefit to doing so, especially in our relationship with God, and we're going to talk about a few of those right now. My first point is this. The first benefit to staying out of sloth is our desire for new must become greater than our loyalty to the old. And embracing the new is the benefit, right? So, we all want a new identity. We can all sit here if we have any sort of assertiveness in our minds or hearts and say all the ways that we could change and become better. Not in a comparison way, but in a way where we can check ourselves and go, oh, I, wasn't, I shouldn't have spoke that way today, or I shouldn't respond this way, or I shouldn't, whatever. We have those lists of things that we have in front of us. And the promise with Jesus is that all those old things that we're stuck in, those old cycles, are to be made new as we pursue him. But here's the reality. With any relationship, the beginning of that relationship is bliss, right? The real work starts after the bliss, so some of you aren't married, but I guarantee if you're not married and you're a female at least, you probably have a Pinterest board preparing you for marriage, right? <laughs> preparing your wedding day and all your dreams and hopes to be fulfilled one day. And then those of us who are married or have been married, we, have, we remember those moments of leading up to that wedding day. And on that lead up to that wedding day, it was, everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be so pristine and precise. We spent exorbitant amounts of money on 
eight hours of our entire life, right? And we look at that day and we build to this culmination of this one moment and then have to reconcile that I'm now married, so I have to behave as a married person. See, the slothful wants to get married. They like the idea of being married, but the idea of being a married person is not something they enjoy. And that is the reality. We, we, we are now five years into this marriage, and the pinability, Pinterest, pinability of your big day has long since faded. You're far from marital bliss. You're in your day-to-day, unbeautiful parts of life, right? You're in the daily grind of life and living, and now's the time where it really matters. Now's the time where you're no longer a single person. You're now a married person. You had to shift and change your identity from the bachelorette in paradise to poopy diapers and eating cold food if you're a mama. We always eat last. I don't know what that's about, but (laughs) where marriage is cultivated and ultimately successful is in those day-to-day moments after the honeymoon period. And that is the same exact idea with Jesus. The honeymoon period is in the saying yes to Jesus. That's exciting. That's a promise. That's an eternal excitement and movement towards something new. That's a promise of of a destination and a hope in this world that is hard to not have hope in. But the issue that we see as a slothful person is that embracing that new identity can be hard. I want to take us through a few verses that remind us of how biblical and how much God desires newness in our lives when we find him. Ephesians 4.20, it says this, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that, has, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be re- renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Colossians 3.8 speaks to the newness found in Jesus as well. But now put on, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. If you haven't been baptized, this is the picture of baptism. When you say yes to Jesus, you go into the waters of baptisms, and you go down and into the water, and you're laying down your old self. When you come back up, you're coming into the new self, God's new identity over you. And the slothful person does not like the work towards the new identity or laying aside the things that they were so entangled in. And that's the hard part is when we get married just as that, you have to lay aside all the things that you might have loved before, right? You have to sacrifice. You have to compromise. You can't just golf every other day of the week anymore because someone else cares where you're at. You can't do all, you can't just do what you want and live a single life. Change has to come. When you put on that ring, change comes. It's saying, I'm committed to you for life. I'm committed to you and to making this work forever And I know now that I am not just a single person, but I'm now coming together as one whole person with another person. See, our spirit is begging for sanctification. And that's what we see in Galatians 5.17. We read this, For the flesh desires what what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want to do. 
Remember, we've read this verse like several times this last couple weeks, is Romans 7 where it says the doo-doo scripture is what we like to call it, that Paul talks about, I do not do what I want to do, and I do do what I don't want to do, and all the doo-doos, okay? And he says, in other words, he's saying exactly what Galatians is saying is our flesh is literally pulling apart from what our spirit desires and needs. We have a constant duality going on, a constant tug-of-war of what, the, what, what God is trying to do in us. And what we desperately need is the spiritual side. It's begging for sanctification, which is the idea of becoming something new, while our, fre- our flesh is surrenders to staying the same. It wants to be complacent. It wants to stay the same. Glittering Vices, it says this, the slothful, like the comforting thought of being saved by love, of being God's own, we love that thought, but balk at facing the discomfort of transformation, the slow putting to death of the old sinful nature and the discipline it takes to sustain that transforming relationship of love over the long haul. I mean, frankly, we're seeing this as an epidemic in our culture today. Just as we look across marriages and, you know, if you've gone through a broken marriage, we understand there's redemption. God has healed you and we believe that he is in the midst of it. At that, but I'm saying we are seeing across our cultural lines, Christian and non, struggling with this idea of commitment. We're struggling with this idea of what it takes to daily love someone. But the good news is, is that we can be both be in Christ and becoming in Christ. That's the promise, is that we don't have to be already perfect. We can come to him as we are, in who we are, but we're also becoming. So we become a Christian, and then we become a Christ follower. God is both already in us and not fully in us. If he was fully in us, he wouldn't be struggling with sloth, right? (laughs) Our love for him, as Rebecca DeYoung puts it, has the character of both longing and the restfulness of delight. Kathleen Norris once said that, Married love is eternal, but it's also daily, about as daily and unromantic as housekeeping. It's not a romantic idea to pursue Jesus. It's not a romantic idea to pursue each other. It's a daily process of giving up the old and reclaiming the new that God has for us. So the antidote to sloth in this case is in the religious, and when I say religious, I mean the over and over practices of each and every day, those things that create depth in our relationships that place value in them. It's in the daily speaking the words, I love you, whether you feel it or not in that moment. It's in the daily application of gratefulness. It's in the daily traditions of honor, praise, etc. It's in the daily abiding in Jesus. That that is where we can see the antidote to sloth. My second point is this, our investment is never a risk and always contains a greater reward. That's good news right there. Spiritual battles take place on many fronts. Sometimes bodily pleasures or bodily weariness do make us more susceptible to sin. But in the case of this vice, the battle is first and foremost waged within our hearts. In sloth, we are literally divided against ourselves. We just talked about that. We were made for relationship with God. If we are slothful, we have chosen to reject that relationship as the way to find fulfillment and chosen to make something else do its work instead. We are trying to make ourselves content with being less than we really are. But there's a promise for more in the transformation of who we are. 
what Rebecca Day Young is saying right there is that when we fight against ourselves, we are actually contending for an opposing reality to the identity that God has for us. So when we're in the midst of that battle, we're, we are fighting for that reality. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents, and I'm not going to read it all because it's a little bit long, but I'm going to give you the recap version, okay? So Matthew 25, it talks about three men who were given three different amounts of talents, coins, we'll just call them for those who may not understand what talents are, because <laughs> we don't speak that language, um, from their master while he goes away. Each one is invested double, invested and got double their earnings back, except for one man who buried his talent under a tree so that he would not disappoint the master. However, the master comes home and he asks for the talents back and gets, the one, gets to the one man who has one talent and buries it and finds out that he didn't do anything with it and, of course, gets upset and then takes the talent from that man and gives it to the man who had the most. He had five talents originally and doubled it, so he has ten talents and now he has eleven. And what I loved about this verse is what I see as the promise here when we invest in verse 28 and 29, it says this, So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. See, that's the danger of being slothful. Is that when you lack the ability to invest in yourself, in relationship with God, there's not much promise there. But when you push into all the things, when you invest in those things, when you invest in your relationship with God and you don't bury that gift that he gave you on the cross when he died for you and the thing that you loved about walking into salvation with him, when you don't bury that gift, you come into more. We come into seeing God's greater place over our life, his greater space over our life, that he would have more for us in this life than just simply being satisfied with him dying on the cross and us having eternity. It's not about, see, that's the promise of what will come, period. But there is promise for today, in this moment, in this life, in the things going on around you, in your impact, in what you can do for Jesus and for the kingdom of God. There's promise in that. So the Bible doesn't really call us to be more motivated or more productive workers. We see lots of things that talk about how good work ethic and things like that in Proverbs, but the relevant image of script in Scripture is actually fruitfulness. It's not busyness. It's not even productivity. It's fruitfulness. See, the parable of a sower is demonstrating the fruitfulness we are to have in our lives. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. It's in being in him where we see change and the more come, the fruitfulness of our lives. So the antidote to sloth in this case is a constant assessment of the fruit being produced in your life. It's constantly looking at it saying, God, are you producing fruit here? And if you're not, are there areas that I might be being slothful? My third and last point is this. Our yoke is light and our work towards transformation is gentle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this out of the cost of discipleship. Grace is costly because it compels a person to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. See, we want the grace that Jesus offers us over our lives. We want the forgiveness. We love that about Jesus. 
but it's still costly. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But when we look at the idea of yoke here, when we look at this idea of what it is to be yoked up, what we see is this reality of like when we go back and we look at like two oxen getting yoked together, what are they about to do? They're about to do some work. So the idea here is that God is yoking himself up to us, but we're still going to do some work. The reality is that it's a light yoke. We don't have to carry it alone. We get a yoke up to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our life, and we get to, get to move forward into transformation, into glorification, into sanctification, into all of those things that we so dearly want and love, but are too lazy sometimes to do on our own. We get to walk with Jesus in the process of transformation. And the reality is that transformation is gentle. Jesus isn't trying to make you fully worked over overnight. He's not some makeover show, right? Where it's like, okay, you got 10 days and you just come out glam on the other side and perfect and ready to go. It's not that. It is a daily walk with him. And in that daily walk with him, he's yoked up to us and that's where the lightness comes. That's the gentleness. The gentleness is that we're not doing it alone. That our transformation towards, towards these things, towards him ultimately, towards a better life, towards a better me, comes with a lightness of yoke. See, I don't have to have anxiety about change when I'm yoked up with Jesus. I don't have to have anxiety about what's going on around me because I'm yoked up with Jesus. I've got the king of kings and lords, lord of lords attached to me. He works with me and for me. Sometimes he goes ahead of me a little bit to make the ground a little softer. So there's promise, and the idea of being slothful so often is that we don't know how to run into that promise. But in it, there's so much grace, there's so much patience. See, a sloth struggles with work, and the work required to change. Instead of committing to avoidance, though, the promise of God is that there will be work. You just think about the fields. They have to be plowed. But there's a promise for harvest. There's a promise for fruitfulness. And that applies to every area of our lives. That applies to our marriages. That applies to our relationships with our children. That applies to our work ethic. That applies to Jesus. And ultimately, the reason I wanted to talk about Jesus first is because when this is aligned, all this is aligned, right? When I can align myself and yoke myself up with, with Jesus and I'm moving forward, this stuff is easy. Honoring each other becomes easy because I'm yoked up with, the, with Jesus who's whispering in my ear, hey, let's change that. Let's change that tone a little bit. I feel like I hear this every day from him. <laughs> Right? He's yoked up with us, and his transformation is gentle. He's not hitting us over the head and saying, you're ridiculous. What are you thinking? He's just quietly whispering, I got better for you. I have a promise to fruitfulness. So the antidote to this last point is that we need to allow Jesus to lead us by walking alongside of us, and that we'll start to see a change away from slothfulness and avoidance. So we're going to go ahead and stay seated, and I just want to pray over y'all this morning.